The word of God that comes to us today is from King David, who says to us, Blessed or happy is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. You may be seated. Grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. There are some Christian churches that view what God has done for us as a courtroom. We are um, cleared in court. There are other churches that view what God has done for us as a hospital. We are healed. We are in the process of being healed. And in the end, all will be right. Well, which one of those two perspectives is right? The answer is yes, both are right, I think. Today, King David brings to us something that is out of step with culture. Did you hear it? Take a look. Turn to the second page of your bulletin. We'll be looking at Psalm 32, this Psalm of David that goes back to about 1000 BC to, to King David. He wrote this, it's one of the six what we call penitential Psalms, one of six that, that immediately look at our broken condition. And you might think by reading these, these different psalms, this one and especially Psalm 51, that at the end of it, man, you're depressed, you're gloomy, you're sitting in, in ashes with a sackcloth over your head. Things aren't good, right? You might think that by reading a psalm like this, but the exact opposite is true. These psalms that lead us to repent bring us the good news and clear our conscience. And this is what the world needs, but it is out of step. It is out of step with the world. Take a look. It says, blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered, whose, against whom the Lord counts no iniquity. When's the last time you had a cup of coffee with someone and started talking about sin and transgressions and iniquity? Today, this morning? Yesterday, surely, right? Maybe last week? Last year? Last ever? Let me talk about your transgressions. Or you're, see, and it actually makes you laugh, right? The word sin is almost taken as, you know, no big deal. We think of dark chocolate, eating that dark chocolate. That would be sinful, right? Or maybe something else like Victoria's Secret. It's, it's sinful. You know, we, we make light of what David here takes very seriously, right? We don't take it seriously in our culture because we're the first culture in the world that basically says, hey, Whatever you want to do, I'm cool with that. Your truth is your truth. You do you, right? And it's working out great for the world, isn't it? Everyone's happy. Not. But David here says, blessed or happy is the one who looks square in the mirror and sees what he calls transgression, sin, iniquity, and so on. So let's, let's go down the road that David leads us. Here, and, and I don't make light of this, but I would like to just bring you four steps that David goes through here. And I want to correlate it to something that many of us, me included, have experienced, which is um, an illness that could be terminal. And, and so we can all relate to that. And that brings up certain things in your mind, and you may not hear anything else I say because you're thinking of those things. But when we put it in perspective of being sick, this is what David shows us. Often when we find out we're sick, there's a diagnosis, right? You hear that word and you're floored. Oh, I didn't think it was that, right? You know that experience. 
And then you go see your doctors, and then usually they come up with some sort of treatment plan. They give you a, a great prognosis or one not so great. And I just experienced this this last week. Not personally, but my stepdad. You come up with a treatment plan. David will show us that. And then, hopefully, you get to what your oncologist or whoever will say, wow, at this point we can assure you we, we see no sign of disease. You want to hear those words. Although they never make you feel good. When I was told, Reiko, you have no sign of disease, I'm like, why, why can't you just say I'm cured? Why can't you say I'm all better? Well, there may or may not be stuff in there. We just don't see it. I didn't like those words. But anyway, David shows us the cure, which is greater than no sign of disease. And then he shows us what some people who are cured, how they live. They have a life of joy. They have a brand new lease on life. You can relate, right? And that's what David shows us. And here he puts it with relationships between each other and relationships between God. We won't spend a long time on all of it, but take a look. The diagnosis, David starts in verse 1. He says, blessed is the man, or blessed is the one, whose transgression is forgiven. Well, transgression, you don't use that word, but in Hebrew, it basically means this, and you can relate to this, a rebellious self-assertion. You probably have never done that. A rebellious self-assertion. King, no, not King, St. Augustine, this guy Augustine, he did not grow up in the church. He lived in the 300s. And when he was younger, he, he tells a story about when he was younger that he and his friends uh, went to this pear orchard of all places and they just stole a bunch of pears and they ate them up and they had a glorious time. And then he later remembers, like, I don't know why I did that because, number one, I wasn't hungry. Number two, I don't like pears. So why did he do it? He later said, well, it was because there was a prohibition. There was a sign that says, no trespassing. When you see a sign like that, what do you want to do? Trespass. Signs, signs, everywhere is signs. You know that song? It's like, yeah, I want to break that rule, right? And that's what transgression is. It is a rebellious self-assertion. No one's going to tell me how to live, right? Is that monster inside you? Yeah. And so King David says acknowledges that in our diagnosis. We want to break things. We have an inclination to break stuff, don't we? Uh, sometimes we break those rules. Other times we break promises or we break relationships. We won't go into that, but we can imagine that. He goes on and says, um, whose sin is covered. And this word sin here means a going off the path, right? It's here's the path, walk in it. This will, be a, uh, this will make your life good. As I mentioned last week, sure life's tough, but it's even tougher if you're stupid. It's the, the being stupid in life, right? It's thinking that the Ten Commandments, it's busy work. Whatever. If I have to do it, I'll do it. Don't lie. Eh, I'll try not to, right? But what happens when you lie? You tell someone else a lie. What happened to that person? They are now less of a person. They are now an object that you are using, that you are manipulating, that you have power over. What happens to you? you also become less human. And that's, that's how it is with all the commandments. When we break the, the commandments of God, the things that make for a good life, when we do those things, we go against the grain of the universe. God doesn't tell us don't kill just because he felt like it. It's because it's what's right and good and it's what fits with the universe. But we break the universe. We can imagine all the ways that we do that, right? All the ways we go off the path. But David says, whose sin is covered? So he mentions sin, and then he goes on and says, 
Blessed is the man against whom, let me back up. Blessed is the one whose sin, whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered, right? There's a, a guy who's, who's an atheist, uh, John Paul Sartre, I believe, I probably got his name wrong, he's French, so I said it wrong for sure. Uh, I have to ask Kara, she took a bunch of French. But Jean-Paul Chartres, he, uh, he wrote uh, about this experience of, of looking at someone else and having power over them. And he, he described it like they're in a room, they're living out their life, and you're, peering, you're bending down and you're looking through the keyhole. Remember how old houses have a keyhole that you can look through? Right? He says, you're looking through the keyhole and you can see everything about that person. You know everything they do. You hear everything they say, in some mysterious way you can know everything they're thinking about, right? Can you imagine how much power you'd have over that person? I know some of you have siblings, you're like, if you do that, I'm telling mom, right? Or dad, right? You know, understand, if you know so much about someone else, you have power over them, good or bad. And then Sartre, who's an atheist, says, you have this... This, this, you're looking through the keyhole and then all of a sudden you hear a noise behind you. And you turn around and you see another keyhole. There is an eye looking through that keyhole that has seen everything you have done, that has heard everything you have said, that knows everything you have thought, and you are uncovered. Yikes, right? Yikes. Whew. That's what David says here. He says the opposite, blessed is the one whose sin is covered. But where we are in the world is that we're uncovered, right? We, we don't have any comfort for those things. There was another atheist named Franz Kafka. He, read, he wrote some crazy books. I don't recommend reason, reading them unless you need to fall asleep at night. But one he wrote was called The Trial. It's about this guy who wakes up and he's in jail. He's in prison somewhere and he's going to be on trial. And in the book, they never tell him what his charges are. So think about that for a moment. This is you. You wake up in jail somewhere. You're going to go on trial. Now think about all the stuff. This was like my daughter Libby got called to the office last week. And she didn't do anything wrong, but she thought she did. Right, Libby? It was kind of scary, right? You get called to the office, or you're going to be on trial thinking, okay, I, I know I did some things. Which one are they going to get me for? Right? Now, that's just between, that's just on the human scale, but think on the divine scale, right? How much more between us and God? And so Kafka says that, and again, he's an atheist, and he says, we're the first generation that, that knows we're sinners and tries to get rid of guilt, but we make up our own morality, but we still have this voice inside of us that says, you're a phony, you're a hypocrite, you're wrong, and we can't get rid of that voice. So Kafka and these other people they admit that we're uncovered, right? And I think when we're honest, we're, we're uncovered as well. So that's the diagnosis that David brings up. Sorry to spend so long on that. The rest of this doesn't make sense unless we know that diagnosis. We're in trouble because of our, uh, our transgression, our sin, our uncoveredness. Well, David goes on and gives us a treatment plan, which is if you have an illness you want, right? Show me the treatment. What do I got to do? One immunotherapy drug, a combination, whatever, I'll do it. I want to live, right? Okay, with me? Look at verse 5. This is the treatment plan. David says this, I acknowledge my sins to you. This is what we did this morning. Maybe we just did it, you know, half-heartedly. 
you were thinking about something else. When we confess our sins, this is what David said, I acknowledge my sins, but here, take a look. I acknowledge my sins to what? To you. In Psalm 51, David says, against you and you only have I sinned. Now, pause for a moment so we can read these two psalms together. How could David, if you know the story of David, how could he say, against you and you only, God, have I sinned? How could he say here, I acknowledge my sins to you? If you remember the story of David, he stole a soldier's wife and then sent that guy out to die. And then he lied about it for about a year. Tried to cover it up. He broke pretty much every commandment of God. He coveted what was not his. So David, how could David say, against you and you only have I sinned? He sinned against Bathsheba and Uriah, that, her husband, right? And against his whole nation by telling lies. Well, because ultimately, it's not that he didn't sin against those others, that ultimately our sin is against God. That's why David says, I acknowledge my sin to you. There are no standards that we can come up with that, except for the standards of God. So I'll leave it there. Where we know that, we know that as the Bible tells us. Our conscience may or may not reflect our sins correctly. He goes on and says, And I did not cover my iniquity. So here, think about this for a moment. Uh, He is allowing himself to be uncovered in the sight of God. Does God already know? Is God already the all-seeing eye through the keyhole? He already knows. But here David says, I acknowledge my sin to you. I don't know if you do this, but I think it's pretty common. If you, you come to a place where you apologize, say, I'm really sorry I did this. I was tired. Or I'm really sorry I did this. Like you just pushed me to my limits. Right? Or um, I shouldn't have done that. You know, I was having a bad day. Or I shouldn't have done it. You're just a hard person to live with. Right? On and on. Have you ever done that? It's like we teach kids to apologize, and they apologize, and then they add this, it's because of that, because of what you did, right? But David here tells us, no, I sinned. So why do, we, why do you and I sin? Because of us. It's our own fault. As one of our confessions says, uh, it's my fault, my fault, my most grievous fault, right? It's not your neighbor's fault. They may contribute to it because we're in a broken world, but David says, I it's my fault. I acknowledged my sin to you. And I didn't cover my iniquity. And then he goes on. I just wanted to show you, look at the last two lines before we move on. I'll confess, I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. There's a couple ways to do this wrong, to do this treatment plan wrong. One is to not believe that God forgives you. It's to almost... Maybe this doesn't ever, you never thought this, but let's say that you're, you're before God and you, you know, are sorry for your sin and then you stay in that moment. You are groveling and you come to a place where you're like, I'm really just doing a good work by being sorry. Look at how sorry I am, God. Have you ever, maybe you haven't experienced that, but you're like, I, I want to be sorry and I am being sorry and my focus is on me being sorry, right? Do you see how that's not correct? The focus isn't on me being sorry. So one thing we can do wrong in this is not to believe that we are forgiven. The other one says, and this is kind of odd, it says, you forgave the iniquity of my sin. Isn't that like redundant? You forgave the sin of my sin. 
So a wrong way to do confession, a wrong way to do this treatment plan is to do it only because, oh, you know what? My girlfriend said she's leaving. My, my wife said she's leaving because uh, I'm verbally abusive and she's not going to take it anymore. I'm really, really sorry. And I'm going to go to counseling and I won't do it anymore. I'm so sorry. And then time goes on and she comes back and then it comes up again. And you do it again. You're verbally abusive again. Well, why? Why didn't that person change? Why were they sorry? Help me out. They, they, they're sorry for all those reasons because you wanted her back, right? Not because what you did was actually wrong. You're sorry for the consequences of your sin, not because of the sin itself. Does that make sense? Okay. All right, so let's move on to the, the good news. You got enough bad news for the day? I wish we had some ventilation here. Cool us all down. All right, maybe it's just me, because I'm the, I'm the first in line to hear all this stuff. The chief of sinners, Paul says about himself, and I would agree with him. Well, there is something even better than no sign of disease. So you go through this treatment plan where you are confessing your sin to the Lord. You believe that he'll forgive you. And how do you get this no sign of disease? Well, look back at verse 1. Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity. So some of you love taking classes. And many, who's in a class right now of some sort? You have a class at work, you have a class at college, you have a, class in, a bunch of classes in school. Come on, don't be shy. All right, about a tenth of you. The rest of you have to remember. So let's say, or you didn't raise your hand because you're too shy. You think I'm going to call on you or something. Well, okay, you're, you're taking this, this, you take a welding test or a calculus test or an economics test. You get the grade back and it says, you worked hard on it, sort of, and you get back a D minus or an F, Right? And that pretty much ruins your chances of passing the class, right? You had to pass this test to pass the class. And then your, your teacher comes up to you and says, I'm not going to count that one. I'm not going to count that one, right? How does that make you feel? <sighs> wow, really? You're not going to count that one against me? Because be, I'd be goners. I'd be kicked out of school, right? You're not going to count it? Oh, that's awesome. Well, how does God do that? How does God just not count it? I'll show you. You could look in your Bible, but this, I'll show you. This is from Romans chapter 4. Paul takes, what Paul, Paul takes what David says and explains it to us. He says this in Romans 4, verse 4. Now to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as his earnings. And to the one who doesn't work, but trusts in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness, just as David also speaks of the blessing of the one to whom God counts righteousness apart from their works. And then he quotes David, Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count his sin. It is a gift. And what is that gift? We know it. Think for a moment, how did Jesus die? Easy. How did he die? He was crucified, right? Jesus could have been killed by a sword. There was plenty of swords around. He could have been shot with an arrow, lots of those. He could have been run over by a chariot, on and on. He could have been kicked off a cliff, as they tried to do, Luke chapter 4. 
They could have killed him in lots of ways, but he was crucified. Think for a moment about crucifixion. Crucifixion, we have a small example there. Crucifixion, you are stripped. You are slowly put to death. Everything about you is exposed. You are uncovered, right? That's what our Lord went through. The shame of being uncovered. Why? 2 Corinthians chapter 5 tells us that it wasn't child abuse by God the Father. It says that God was in Christ reconciling the world. It was God, Jesus Christ himself, who was doing this uncovering to save you. And it goes on and says in 2 Corinthians 5, God made him, Jesus hanging on the cross, who knew no sin, to become sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in him. This is the good news. Jesus is uncovered so that we might be covered. That is the gospel. It is a gift, and we can rejoice in it. So this, my tone has been heavy today, and I apologize, because this is such awesome news. If everyone in the world believed this, you think the world would be better? Yes, right? It is such good news. So think, going back to that diagnosis and that treatment plan, here we have better than no sign of disease. You have, you are cured. You are all better. In Jesus, his robe of righteousness covers you. And that's what David goes on to say. Uh, how blessed, that, that word happy, Blessed is that one who believes it. Blessed, happy, joyful. And then he, he talks about the life of joy that follows. And I'll just read this and let you fill in the blank. This is our challenge to live out. And I say challenge in a way that, that getting a brand new car, or in my case, a white diesel truck, would be the challenge of driving my white diesel truck all around. That'd be fun, right? This is the challenge, the fun of living this Christian life, knowing that we're covered in Jesus. So let me just read the rest of the psalm. Uh, in fact, yeah, I'll just read it. So look at verse 6. And let's, let's finish this message and meditate on these words. Therefore, let everyone who is godly, and if you look at Romans 4, those who are godly are those who are given the gift. Let everyone who is godly offer prayer to you at a time when you may be found. Surely in the rush of great waters, they shall not reach him. You, Jesus, are a hiding place for me. You, Jesus, preserve me from trouble. You, Jesus, surround me with shouts of deliverance. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. My all-seeing eye that does not judge you, that sees you in Jesus. Be not like a horse or a mule without understanding, which must be curbed with bit and bridle, or it will not stay near you. Many, as we know, are the sorrows of the wicked, but steadfast love surrounds the one who trusts in the Lord, who trusts in Jesus. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, O righteous, and shout for joy, all you upright in heart. This is very odd, but I want to just clap and give God thanks for this. Let's, let's say thanks to Jesus. Thank you, Lord. I know that feels weird, but it's like God has come to save us, and so we give him thanks in our praise. And now we confess our faith.